Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's cooking, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of The O Show with Jack O'Hara. The podcast is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness in Scottsdale, Arizona. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ, Floyd Money Mayweather himself, formulated with the perfect combination of boxing, strength, and cardio conditioning intervals designed to make you look good, feel good, and leave you with more than just a great sweat. It's the best group boxing workout in the market. Head on over to Mayweather Boxing and and fitness. The O Show is also presented by TickPick.com. No hidden fees over at TickPick ever. Not tacked on at checkout, not anywhere. We hate bogus service fees just as much as you do. Our buyer trust guarantees means your tickets will always be valid. If your event is ever canceled, you'll get your full money back, full refunds at TickPick.com. You have a chance to win a trip to the MTV VMAs this year on August 22nd using TickPick.com. Download our app and enter the chance to win two award show tickets, flights, accommodations, and more guaranteed best prices. We've eliminated the stresses of price shopping. If you buy tickets on TickPick.com, you know you're getting the best price. For example, I got Pearl Jam tickets a few weekends ago. I used StubHub.com. StubHub.com gave me tickets for $55 each, and it's what I thought it was going to be, $55 with $30 added on taxes and fees. That means it was an $85 ticket at TickPick.com. Could have got tickets for $35, strictly $35. No hidden fees if you want to go to TickPick.com for that. Let's get after it. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you asked me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Radder. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara? Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Broadcasting around the world, you're listening to the O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing. I mean, you've got some pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff. So congratulations on your success, Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien, with much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now let's get to it. I'm so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's totally gonna break up with you. She's definitely gonna break up with me. Should've used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. How's everything good. Going? Everything's good. Everything's going good. How's uh? Was it Fox Sports Radio now? It's uh, Fox News Radio. Fox so it's News more Radio. so on that. Yeah. So I'm doing more podcasting stuff on the backside um, right now. So I do a lot of their social media work. Um, so it's interesting. That's for yeah. sure. It's interesting. And then um, I'll be wrapping up there. It was like a six month internship, basically. 
So I'll be wrapping up there mid-June because I'll be on the Cape this summer broadcasting in the Cape Cod Baseball League. Gateman, um, right? Yeah, yep. And Wareham. So I'm excited for that. And then we'll see what happens. I think it's looking like I'll be hopefully going to Fox Sports in the fall. Oh, that's um, So we'll see. We'll see. Is it like within like the same like um, group or offices that you're working with now? It would be completely different. Really? Uh, it would be completely different. But so like behind the scenes, I'll just give you a rundown on like how it looks behind the scenes. So like people hear like Fox News and then they get like, well, what, what do you mean? Or they, even Fox News Radio is like completely different from like Fox News and like our department. So like Fox News Radio and then really it's like podcasts. But like Fox News Radio is like the head and then it branches out. So like TMZ is like under us. Uh, New York Post is under us. Fox mm-hmm. Sports Radio is under us. So like all the Fox Sports stuff like is under Fox News Radio. So I would be going to like one of the other things. Like TMZ is completely different from Fox News or Fox News Radio, but it's like kind of in there. Yeah, I know. That, that'd be so interesting if you were around, like, chasing people around, being like, hey, hey, hey. Yeah. No doubt. I mean, that would actually be, work really good, like, if you're outside Yankee Stadium and you wanted to catch up with, like, Sterling or Michael Kay, just be like, hey, guys, guys, guys. I know. I know. I already know you, so I may as well. I think it would work <laughs> out. Oh, dude. You know, that's actually an interesting, like, concept, kind of just to, like, get straight into it. I wanted to ask you, like, the question was pondering in my head, like, right before we jumped on this call, because I was looking at uh, John Boy Media's new big deal that they have with all of their partners, and, like, it's, like, a $5 million funding, which is yeah. for Jimmy and Jake. And then I looked at, obviously, you know, there's the new A-Rod and Michael K, K-Rod cast for ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, which... You know, say what you want about it. It's gotten mixed reviews so far. Um, I think they're trying to make it work. But I, I legitimately think in my head, call me crazy. Like, tell me if I'm, like, assuming incorrectly here. But I think, like, because when we got into this, we wanted to be play-by-play guys. We wanted to be sure. sports broadcasting. Do you think that, you know, the John Boy media side of things, and I'm going to completely take Barstool Sports out of this as well, because I think they're like in their own universe with stuff, mm-hmm. where John Boy media, I think, legitimately will be partnered with the ESPNs and the Foxes. They're already partnered with Yes, because they like, they're, they, they've been able to prove themselves to be really fun, but not overly raunchy to the point where like Barstool wasn't even acknowledged by those big networks back in the day. But do you think... Um, the normal and classic and traditional style of play-by-play broadcasting is going to be what it is now 10 years from now, or do you think it's going to evolve into something more along the lines of content creators getting a shot and mixing like an actual broadcast up? Cause I, I legitimately think it's going to change very soon. Well, remember, I don't know if you remember this, but there was W E I when Tim never left mm-hmm. or there was like that mutual parting ways where Tim Everett, the former voice of the Boston Red Sox on WEI kind of his contract ended. And then WEI ran a story where they wanted to do a talk show while the Red Sox game was happening. So they wanted to get away from the traditional play by play with an analyst and get to like a talk show where it's like, they're talking, having a conversation with a game happened in the background, but like, they're still talking about the game. Yeah. This was like the before people even even had like a K Rod Cats or like a Manning Cats or like all these different versions of 
gaming cats, right? And it was hated, absolutely hated. And I, I think, well, I hope <laughs> that it never gets to that point where it's always like, no, we have this, but if you want to try this, there's an option where it's not just the like A-Rod cast. I don't think they'll ever get to that point. I think it will always be this or that. I think there will always be two options. Um, I, so I, to answer your question, I, I think the companies that you met, like the John Boy and whatever, yeah. um, I think eventually they'll start partnering, partnering up with different promotions because we're seeing so many – baseball is different. Baseball is a different animal because there's so much content. So – where John Boy Media can really delve into this, like you're sitting at a restaurant talking to them, right? Like they're the blue collar, they're just fans. Like that's how they got so popular is, you know, Jimmy was in his basement breaking down Yankee games, like just as a Yankee fan. And then he was able to create this whole company because of that. So I think eventually they'll start partnering up with ESPN because I don't think John Boy Media is ever going to have or maybe even they don't want to get to this point, but like to carry a Yankee game or to carry a Kansas city Royals weekly game. Right. So like we are seeing Amazon have every Friday night, the Yankee game, or I don't think a, I don't know if that's even an, that's a lot of freaking money to afford to carry that, but who knows? I mean, who would have thought that, you know, five years ago today, they would be at where they are now. So it's like, I don't want to say like 10 years from now, they'll never be able to afford it. Who knows? But I don't know if they want to, right? Like, I don't know if that kind of fits their criteria. So I think that's when they go into saying, okay, what makes most sense right now? And that is partnering up. Yes, that would, right? Like, so to answer your question shortly, I think this is the future where there's so many different mediums getting involved in so much content. There's so much content out there not just games anymore. It's just the athletes. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, there's going to be so many people like again, like now two years, three years, four years down the road that are going to be putting out great content. And you see a lot of great content out there, but it's so congested to the point where there's going to be so many talented people and they just get lost. Like we could be doing this for the next 10 years too. And still never, oh, like, yeah. you know, we're just like, spokes on the wheel you know because everybody's doing it. every business is doing it man like we're in this studio right now and we have like real estate shows doctors come in here and shoot content for their business it's like i don't know where that's going but like everybody every single person is doing it because it's just another way to monetize your business mm-hmm. it's insane it's insane yeah. where everything's going but i think I think John Boy Media specifically, and I always differentiate them in Barstool because like when they first started, like when Jimmy and Jake first started, I'm like, they could easily fit into Portnoy's system. And I'm sure that they were oh, yeah. all something, right? But I feel like now that I've seen them grow a little bit more, and you interviewed him back in like 2017, I interviewed him in 2018, like when he was just doing like the Talking Yanks, when he was yeah. just like a Yankee, he was like the voice of Yankees podcast, basically. And I just seeing them grow, I'm like, oh, they're, they're a little bit different. They're not as raunchy. They're there to make people feel good, where Barstool Sports is a little bit more, like, edgy. 
which it works for him. That's great. And, you know, there's a lot of people who enjoy that as well, but it's so much different to the point where, like I said, like they're going to get offers from ESPNs and boxes to do like those hangout segments, like you were talking mm-hmm. about, as opposed to Barstool, who was kind of written off by ESPN early on, you know, they're, they're right. obviously acknowledged now by everybody, but they're still like, like, I remember the first time I ever talked to Jack Curry and I wanted to interview him, and I was with, I think, fansided.com writing Yankees articles. And he's like, that's not like uh, Barstool Sports or anything like that. I'm like, oh, no, why? He's like, uh, I just I can't stand them. Like, those old school guys just don't like that yeah. type of, like, new type of media. Would you ever, cons- like, with what you want to do in play-by-play, like, in content creation, because everybody's doing it, like, what, what, what's more important to you, kind of telling the story or, like, developing a way to where, obviously, you can get your foot in the door and at the same time build your own brand, per se? That I'm old sense school. At all. Yeah, like, I'm old school, right? Like, I like the old school. You follow the Yankees or whatever team you're writing for, yeah. and you write daily articles. But at the same time, you know, it's like – you never say, if, like, if you're broadcasting a baseball game today, you don't say Aaron Bruin talked to the writers. Aaron Bruin talked to the media, right? Like, it's the times have changed where it's like Bob Costas doesn't have Twitter, but it's like he says, you know, I feel like if I was at Syracuse my senior year right now, I feel like I would need to have Twitter. Like, it's just a part of the industry now to where, you don't need it to be successful because some people are still being successful without it, but it's like, it helps, right? It's like back in the day where it's like, you don't have a home phone, you need a home phone. <laughs> and, and now it's like, you don't have Twitter, you, you need Twitter or you need something or a website or something to where you can say, okay, I like this person or they have a good style. So uh, I, I like the content creation side of it. I like the broadcasting side of it. I like all of it, um, but again, I would love to do things behind the scenes. I like that component too. It's interesting, you know. How does a story work? How does a broadcasting work? I love the scheduling components, right? Okay, who's on this game, or how do you travel there and doing all the travel stuff like that's just so interesting to me and how it all works. So um, I like the broadcast. I like it all. You know, it's, the industry is cool. Where it's you get paid to talk about games. It's crazy. I mean, getting the opportunity to travel with the team and you'll get it this summer with the Gateman too. Like just being around the guys all the time, being able to travel yeah. all the time, building that camaraderie with people. Like you can't duplicate that when you're just like in your room creating stuff with your phone or like your laptop and stuff. Like, like, it's a, like you said, a completely different entity, a completely different animal. And, and I don't think right. a lot of people would realize it until they were actually able to fill those shoes. Because you've been doing it for what, five, six, seven, like you've been... I think you were like looking back at your career and how you started, like you, you did it early on. Like, I wish I did it in high school. Like I started when I was in college, but I'm like, I could have easily asked like my athletic director, like call yeah. me, no one else was doing it. Like, did they have a broadcast network when you no. were started or did you go out of your way to start it? No, I mean, the long story short of it was I tried out for my modified baseball team in middle school. And it was right around the time that the Michael Case show was going on to the yes network yeah. because my friend Cecil left. So it was literally, I think right then that week where I got cut from the modified team during tryouts and I went home and I was like the Michael K show. And I started the Alex Fuse show. I was in eighth grade of middle school. So that was 
I graduated high school four years ago. It's almost nine years ago or um, about almost 10 years ago. I started doing this now to where it's like, like someone asked me, like you mentioned Jack Curry, right? And as I go, how long have you known Jack? Well, it's like, I messaged him on Facebook in 2015. <laughs> so it's like, that's seven years I've known Jack. And it's just from social media for the most part, you know? So it's like, it's interesting, right? Where it's, again, without social media, I would not be where I'm at. It's just crazy uh, to, to where, how I got to this point in time with it. I don't think I would have gotten here without it. I don't know if I even would have even thought of it. Um, so, I mean, yeah. It's a, and the high school thing, no. I mean, I luckily tried to create things, you know, but it's yeah. tough because people think they want to do it or that they think they can do, like, play-by-play. Play. You know, everyone thinks it's easy. Oh, it's and then they get up to the booth and it's like the game starts and it's like they haven't talked yet. They haven't said a word. And I'm like, the game's starting. They're like, I don't know what to say. And I'm like, well, an hour ago, you were telling me you're, yeah. it was so easy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll never forget the first time I did like play by play of a game. It was a summer camp at Dean College. And we had to do, we went to the New England Revolution um, at Gillette Stadium, a uh, Revs game. And we were doing soccer play by play. And, you know, it's like, oh, I interview so-and-so, and I think I'm going to be great. You know, oh, it's soccer's easy. And it's like, okay, Alex, you're on. You're live. Mike's on. I don't know what to say. And it's like at that point, it's like, holy crap, like how do you describe, you know, a sport that you don't really know as well as like baseball? You know, baseball I've always had a general knowledge of. But outside of that, it's tough. You know, people think this is easy. And it's like you sit down in an interview with a high school athlete who – doesn't say more than five words, but you have to do a 10 minute interview. And it's like, so how am I going to get this guy to talk? So it's like, I mean, you know, those stories, everyone that's in the industry knows those stories. And it's like, it's a challenge, but that's what makes the great ones. Great. In my opinion. Yeah. I remember my first soccer broadcast too. I, I, I remember I had like long blonde hair at the time. I remember just like pulling my hair out, like in, in like, close to halftime, I'm like, oh my God, like you need to know how to storytell in soccer if you don't yeah. know the sport. Because once you run through the stats, once you run through like the keys to the game and you have nothing else, it's just back and forth for 90 minutes. Oh. You, you have to be able to tell a story. Yeah. What saved me in that broadcast, looking back at it, my analyst, quote unquote, another kid in the camp, he was a huge soccer fan. So what I relied on is in between, you know, of what the limited terms I learned, I was like 16 or 17 at this time. And it's not live. It's just recorded on the, yeah. you know, MP3. I thought it was like, in my mind, it's like, Oh my gosh, I feel it's the big guess, time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Big time. But so I just started interviewing him, you know, I was like, so what is, you know, just to fill the time. And, you know, that's my kind of bread and butter is interviewing, but it's like, that's what kind of, save that broadcast you know it's just relying on okay admitting i don't know you know the sport that well and it's okay but the guy sitting next to me does so you rely on him and you hope that he knows enough to you know make it sustainable and it was but it's crazy how how, how difficult this is 
Have you ever um, uh, asked anybody that you've ever interviewed, whether they are like broadcasters, reporters, athletes, whatever? Actually, I guess this would be more centered towards broadcasters and reporters. Because you mentioned like for us, like we had social media, so we were able to get in touch with bigger names and like kind of like develop a little bit of a brand and a reel for ourselves that maybe like they weren't able to in the past and like the early 80s, early 90s, even like back in the 70s and 60s with people coming up. Like John Sterling didn't have what we had. Michael Kay didn't have what we had. Jack Curry didn't have what we have. Just rattling off all the Yankee ones. Shout out to the New York Yankees. Best team in baseball right now, Alex. Um, we, uh, we had a different opportunity. Like if we don't make it in this, then we really didn't try hard enough because we have every single opportunity. Have you ever asked anybody of like, like, how did you navigate your way? Obviously, the big Yankee guys, even Ruko, they all went to Fordham, and they kind of went up the ladder there. Like, there wasn't – like, when you had an opportunity, you had to make the most of it, or else you were never going to be exposed. Yeah. Uh, well, even, uh, for example, people would write letters back in the day, yeah. right? Um, Dave O'Brien wrote Bob Costas. Uh, Dave O'Brien, Syracuse alum, same with Bob Costas, out of the Newhouse School up there in Syracuse. And Bob, uh, you know, Dave O'Brien tell, told me a story where he remembered writing to Bob Costas. And, you know, Costas wrote right back to him letter, you know, about he listened to his reel and he gave him advice and things along those lines. So it's like, and by the way, you say John Sterling, John still has a flip phone, which I love. So even now, even today as a Yankee broadcaster, he still is just, he reads books, he reads a newspaper, he has a flip phone. I'm stunned and, that he has a phone to begin with. Uh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. So it's, I love this fact too, like he has an iPhone, but it's still in a box from five years ago. <laughs> um, so it's like, yeah, you could make the argument, right, where it's like if you don't make it, you didn't try hard enough because of all the things. I've never thought of it like that, honestly, until you said it. But it's a good point. I, I, I agree with that. You know, I think, too, where broadcasting such a knack, though, too. You know, I will always say this. College, like the Bob Costas did not need Syracuse. You know, yeah. Ryan Rucco did not need Fordham. Michael Kay did not need Fordham. For example, John Sterling, I don't think, ever went to, like, a big-name college. I don't think he – I don't know off the top of my head, but – he might have went to college. I don't know if he graduated, but I don't even think he studied broadcasting. Yeah. You know, he started out as a radio DJ and worked the overnight shifts and learning how to be a personality on air. And he had a love for sports since he was ever a kid. So it's like, I will always say you don't need college to be a successful sports broadcaster because it's a knack and you either, and you can't learn it in my opinion you know, it's, you can maybe learn some tips and tricks, but you can learn that by working in the industry and talking to people. Uh, and I'm sure you feel the same way. I think every interview you do is you learn something from it yeah. and you can understand how people think, you know, I think that's way more important than any school will ever teach, you know, just from the amount of people you talk to, you know, it's like no college can ever teach that. So, uh, I think too, though, it's some people, you know, don't have the knack for it and they don't want to go the extra mile of learning how to do it the hard way. And that's just part of it. And I mm -hmm. think too, it's such a, 
you know, people always think if I don't have a viral tweet, I'm not good. You know, it's not that. You know, you work both showcase who you are. And if you have a good following, that's great. And if not, it's not the end of the world. So I think, too, it's just having the love for it. You have to have a passion for it if you want to be great at it. I think, especially for us, I feel like there's nothing else we want to do. So, like, we have no choice but to go the extra mile, or else it's just gonna, we're just gonna be unsatisfied with ourselves. Oh yeah. You know, like, yeah. where some where some people are like content, like, yeah, I got my degree, I'm working my eight to five, nine to five, whatever it is, and like that's how life is supposed to go in some people's minds. And maybe they did, just didn't have that like that you know light bulb in their head saying, this is what I want to do when I'm young. Like you start in, in eighth grade, like knowing like, oh, I'm gonna start my career now. You know, this is what I want to do. Not like literally 90% of the world doesn't have that, you know? Like I remember the first time where I was like, yeah, I want to be a play-by-play voice when I was a kid. And I'm like, I've been driven ever since. Like I've had like a purpose. I know what I'm going after where some people just didn't, you know, have that. But like, that's what kind of makes us hungry and doing what we want to do. And like, you, you hit it, you hit the nail on the head in the sense of like, some people are going to have big following, some people not so much, but like all, all it really takes is, you know, dedication, hard work, perseverance, everything's meant to happen for a reason. You know, I get your texts every single morning with all the quotes, which are fantastic, you know, like reminding me, I'm like, oh yeah, like there's le- legitimately Alex sometimes where I'm like, I have a question in my head or I'm just like thinking really hard about something and I'll get the ding on my phone at like 5 a.m. <laughs> and I'm like, that quote actually resonates with what I'm like thinking right now. Like, thank you, Alex. I'm like, I, I got to give him a call soon. But like, I think that like you hit that right on the head of people like having, um, you know, social media is like that double-edged sword. Like some people use it greatly but if they're not getting like the clout that they necessarily want it could be toxic so toxic you know and it's like people think that you don't have to be a content maniac right like people think like if i'm not doing you know what what does gary v always says need three posts a day three in a higher voice right and i love gary free i love gary v i i appreciate his hard work but it's like Sometimes you need a day off, you know, or sometimes you need a day away from the phone, you know, to like, you don't have to be crazy. I think um, you do need to be consistent at it as well. I mean, you're the best at being consistent. And so I think though, is that you don't have to, you know, there's how many billion of people in the world, you know, and I always, I will always say this, you know, the people that live on Twitter, and I'm on Twitter a lot, you know, but there's times where I'm like, what am I doing? You know, because there's 7.4 or whatever billion people in the world. There's only like 300 million people on Twitter or something like that. Or it's like Twitter's not the world. You know, I was talking with someone who he, had, he hosts a morning show on the radio. And I was like, why don't you tweet more about the show? Like, why don't you put more clips out? And he goes, well, the demographic show, only 5% of our listening audience is on Twitter. I'm like, holy crap. You know, this is a morning, you know, morning drive radio show in one of the larger markets. You know, it's like only 5% of your listening audience every single day is on Twitter. So it's like, it's not just social media. You know, there's still, and people might say, well, it's radio, of course, you know, Younger people are on Twitter. Not necessarily. A lot of young people are on Instagram and, and TikTok now, of course, TikTok. But still, um, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world if you don't have a good following or whatever. 
No. I, I mean, there's so many people out there that'll preach it too. Like, ah, it doesn't matter if you're getting 14 likes or 14,000 likes. But, you know, like when you're trying to grow, like, because it's like, again, like you and me want to be play-by-play voices one day, you know, like, and at least that's like one of, uh, one of the goals, right? Yeah. Right. Whatever happens, happens later on in life. You know, you have different passions, things come along, things that you didn't think were going to happen. Like nobody really thought content creation was going to be as big as it is now a decade ago or even two decades ago. Like that was never a part of the plan for um, a lot of people, especially people in radio. Uh, But like there's so many different um, entities that could happen. Like there's so many different things that could take you like, again, like to go back to what I was saying before to kind of bring this full circle. Like it's either... You know, you have people who are not necessarily old school, like you said earlier, but people that want to be a play-by-play voice, travel with the team, be be a resource for people that are listening, as opposed to the people that want to build their own personal brand and make it about them and, like, develop a character for themselves, which is why I brought up John Boy Media earlier, because I think he's the perfect example of someone who just wants to have fun with it, where, like, yeah. some of the barstool personalities are legit, like, their characters, their personalities. Right. And it works for them. Like, whatever, whatever happens, happens. But I, I, think, I think it's very interesting to see where we're headed with a lot of people. Like, WWE, we're both pro wrestling fans. Mm-hmm. Michael Cole, he's a resource for WWE, where Pat McAfee is, like, an enigma. Like, Pat yeah. McAfee is Pat McAfee, and they work well together. But Michael Cole is just... He's the voice of the WWE. He doesn't have like his own talk show. He doesn't have his own podcast. Mm-hmm. He, he's there to serve the audience, which I love too. So like you can also have not active on Twitter, right? Right. And he, and the thing is, like he's he's been on McAfee's show. He's done interviews in the past. Like he's he's a good personality. He could do it, but you know oh, like, yeah. that's not what he wants to do. Right. You know he he's content with being the voice of Friday Night SmackDown and and being the head of the broadcasting of the other broadcasters as a producer, or I think he has a higher title now. Every time I turn around, he has a different yeah. promotion, you know, behind the scenes. And I mean, who's, he's been the voice ever since what the late nineties. I feel like he's been there uh, or the early two thousands. He's been the voice of, of the WWE after Jim Ross left full time. So I, he's incredible, you know, where it's like Jr. was, you know, the attitude era voice, but anything after that, it's been Michael Cole uh, and him and Pat McAfee are incredible together. I, I think I would argue they are right up the top right near Jr. and Jerry Lawler, you know, just the chemistry that they have together. And not only just, and people will always say like, well, I never tune into the game because of the broadcaster, right? Like after the Tom Brady deal with Fox sports, right? People are like, well, I never say, well, I'm going to turn it off if Bob Costas or Al Michaels isn't broadcasting tonight. Well, well, maybe it doesn't drive ratings. It improves the product. I will always say that. You know, a random Friday night match that's being not broadcasted by Pat McAfee and Michael Cole, when it is broadcasted by Pat McAfee and Michael Cole, it can make a okay match a great one. You know, where it's like, the storytelling, and maybe it's different in pro wrestling because the the commentators are so much more driving the storyline than it is in a, a non-scripted sport. Uh, but Pat McAfee and Michael Cole enhance the match, right, without a doubt. 
you know, when Shinsuke Nakamura is wrestling and Pat McAfee is on the call, like you already know, like there's going to be that added excitement to it and, and Pat's personality. And it just makes it a hundred times better. I think the good broadcasters and the great broadcasters go unnoticed because like, if you're just an amateur turning on the television and trying to watch a match or trying to watch a game and you don't even notice the commentators, that's when you know they're doing their job because they're telling the story correctly. Where like the bad broadcasters get noticed because you're like, Oh yeah, this this isn't, it's like as smooth as sandpaper, you know, like you're not like it stands out when like you said earlier, like if someone's not talking or if someone's really monotone on the air, like watching college broadcasts, sometimes you could tell if someone's been doing it for a while or if someone's like on their first day doing it, getting mm-hmm. their first break, you know, like the good broadcasters don't get the recognition they deserve because it's seamless. It, like you said, it enhances the product to a point where like people are just in cruise control watching. Yeah. You never want to be trending on Twitter as a broadcaster, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I think the only good broadcaster I can think of that was trending out there a great call is Tony Romo. You know, like when he had like when people started realizing how good Tony Romo was at being an analyst, he was always trending on Twitter. Well, you see, Tony Romo predicted ten plays in the NFL in that NFL game today. Well, it's like everyone's tweeting about it. So it's like I don't want to you know throw anyone out there that did a poor job, but there's been broadcasters that trend after bad performances so it's like i don't think you ever want to trend because in my opinion again i'm old school with this it's not about you as a broadcaster yeah you know it's like it's about the game you know that's why you don't want to be too over the top right or look at me right as a broadcaster that's not how it works you think vince scully ever talked and told a story was like people are gonna love me after telling the story. No, he's going to do his job. You know, he's doing it the right way. Um, there's very few things in broadcast where I think, well, that's right or that's wrong, but doing the job and, and not making it about yourself is, is the only right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if you go the other way, in my opinion, you're not good. <laughs> right. Well, let me play devil's advocate for you. So I feel like there's like the, uh, the fine line of, doing the job correctly. And what you just said, like, that's what a play-by-play voice should be. You're there to tell the story. Don't make it about you because at the end of the day, it's not about you. Like you're a resource for the audience that's listening. You're out there to put out the best broadcast, but in doing that at the same time, like, how do you, how do you make yourself stand out when you are like in the run, like young kids coming up, trying to make it like, how do you make your voice stand out amongst everybody else when you, yes, this is the right way to do it. But if everybody's doing it, how, how are you going to uh, break through that door and get eyes on you, you know? Like, and that's, I feel like, the dilemma that a lot of kids growing up in college and post-college have when breaking into the industry. So I'm just curious what your take would be on that and, like, what your advice for young uh, students would be in that regard of trying to do the broadcast. Like, there's one right way to do it. I agree with that. And at the same time, how do you separate yourself from the pack? Yeah, you know, it's tough. But again, I would always say if you want to be the best at anything, you look at who the best are. And you can go down the list. Joe Buck, Al Michaels, Bob Costas. Uh, there's so many. Even the John Sterling. John Sterling's a little different, though. Yeah. I mean, John Sterling's John Sterling. It's all about being yourself. But again, there's 
the, the, the names I mentioned, right? They're all, the number one thing to answer your question is this, it's being a pro. That's, that is what is so important. You have to be professional. You have to feel like, okay, if I put Ryan Rucco on the call, Ryan Rucco is going to be a pro, all around pro, how they are one-on-one, uh, -on -one, off the microphone, how they are on camera, how they are in the preparation, in the meetings, and the meetings after the broadcast, and just how they are. That is what is the most important thing on how you can be differentiated from other broadcasters coming up. Because in my opinion, being a pro is going away. It just is. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, and again, it goes back to the thing where it's like, look at me, you know, let me drink wine on this podcast, you know, and it's like, that's, it's unprofessional, you know, or it's like, you think Vince Scully would ever, you know, swear, you know, in, in interviews that he does, like, I mean, it's that fine line, right? Of like, oh, that's cool. That's relatable or whatever, you know, it's like Joe Buck is Joe Buck. And I think he has more leeway, but if Joe Buck was an up and coming broadcaster, so you're going to be writing a book called like, you know, Joe Buck, you know, yeah, like yeah. having those different angles of swearing or just, so I think, I think Joe Buck can do that now because he's Joe Buck. Yeah. You know, but and people Joe give him so up. much crap. Like oh, I love seeing him fire it back, you know, he's the best though. Yeah. You know, I think Joe Buck is like one of the best to ever do it. Otherwise you no want to be still getting rewarded. No question. Uh, so I think being a pro is the most important piece of it. And I, I think that is how you separate yourself because if you're a pro all around a hundred percent of the time, it's kind of hard to not get the trust you need to move up in the industry. Mm, yeah. I mean, Joe Buck is a perfect example of that because like, okay, yeah, Jack was his dad. He got his sure. foot in the door early, but he's the best to ever do it. You know why? Because he got that opportunity at a young age and he's still here doing it today, making mm. more money than probably most brought I mean, Bob Costas probably didn't get the contract that Joe Buck got back in his heyday, you know, because money right. has changed, you know, inflation yeah. has changed. But, like, he's there because he's really, really, really good at his job. And there's so many people on Twitter, like you mentioned earlier, everybody thinks that they could do it. It's easy, you know. I, I've seen stand-up comics lately who think that they could just do it because, oh, yeah, all you got to do is tell jokes on stage. Like, no, like, those are all perfectly crafted jokes that take a lot of time to craft and mold and to turn into what they are, oh, yeah. you know, like it, it's not, it's not easy, you know, like th there's probably so many stories that you've, you've had in your career and so many stories and people's that you've interviewed as well that are just like, when I started, like, I thought I was going to be awesome. Like you said, like when you first started, you're like, I've made the big time, you know, the first time you ever, on, I remember the first time I ever did a broadcast, it was a, it was in the California collegiate league. Four, four or five summers ago, and when I first started, I literally just mimicked Michael K the entire time because I'm like, literally, that's the only person I listened to growing up, him and Sterling, you know, like, I'm just, I literally made my own home run call, but everything other than that, like, if you were a Yankee fan, you'd be like, oh, yeah, like, he's literally doing what Michael K would do on a broadcast, and people are like, oh, my God, like, that's, that's great. I'm like, I just, I literally just copycatted the guy I watched, 
you know, growing up, just, just to get my licks in, you know, and then you develop your own voice over time. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways there's so many different like types of voice, like Joe Buck's a different type of voice. Michael Cole's a different type of voice. I'm just trying to think of like play by play guys. Like John Sterling is a legend in New York. You know, the overall like hall of fame committee might not think that he's like up there mm-hmm. with the best. I, I mean, he loves New York Yankee baseball, you know, like some people might be like, okay, like he's kind of a Homer in a sense of like, he has his own big personality. I legitimately think he just loves New York Yankee baseball and it comes out on the air. You know, he's, he's not trying to make it about himself. Like he's legitimately a fan like the rest of us, even at 80 years old. Right. Yeah, no, I, well, John Sterling is John Sterling, you know, where it's like, he's just that personality. You know, like if you tell someone, oh, a guy has saw the football and you're like, oh, he's different, <laughs> you know, or, you know, like he wears his watch on the inside of his wrist. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's, it's, he's just different, you know, and he has a different style and personality about himself. So, I mean, I would even say like, yeah, like I think he's a Yankee fan to some extent, but I think he's just a baseball fan. You know, and he loves offense. So he gets excited over big home runs and, and big plays. And he was, I mean, to say he saw every single inning that Derek Jeter played and saw every single pitch that Mariano Rivera threw in every single game, Joe Torre managed as a New York Yankee manager. That's special, you know, and, and he's a soundtrack of all those Hall of Famers and Yankee legends over the past Oh, 30 years. So that's special. And again, I, I will always say John Sterling is a undoubtedly a hall of famer and, and I'm still shocked that he's not in it yet. Yeah. I, I think it's nuts. Honestly, what was it? 2019 was the first time he missed a game in like yeah. how many every years. Yeah. What, was, what was his streak? It was, I don't think he missed a game since 1989. I don't think we could do that today, even like how passionate we are about this. I think it would be very difficult for us not to take like a day off or two to like spend vacation with the, with the family or like do something along those lines. You know, tragedies happen. Like there, there, there's so many different outside factors that would be like, I need to take some time off. I need to take the next week off. Like he, he literally was New York Yankee baseball for 20 no, that's that's a thirty-year run without missing yeah. a game, without missing a broadcast. That yeah. that's unbelievable. That's I don't think that's ever going to happen again. No, it will never will be. I mean, especially in baseball, where it's a hundred sixty-two game season, you know, plus all the postseason games and and you know, even spring training, he he does a lot of big games. So yeah. it's like you know, like people say, hundred sixty-two game season, but it's like out of those one hundred sixty-two, you're not like taking days off, like it's travel, you know, in between those games that you have off. So it's, it's not just, Oh, you only do 162 games where it's like, no, you're on the road, uh, you know, in between game five and six, you might be on the road for a day, you know, in a plane or wherever you're going. So it's still tough. I just couldn't imagine. I mean, that is just an un unreal accomplishment and just like a different level of respect that you have for someone. And like, we know how hard it is, you know, you're going to do what, like 50, 60 games over the summer, probably with the Gateman. And that's going to be a drag at times. Probably you're not going to have the energy to be like, ah, 
gotta gotta show up like i love what i do but like it's sometimes it feels like things are just slowing down and like maybe mm-hmm. the team's struggling the games aren't as fun to call early blowouts you know like there's so many different factors and he was able to do it at such a high level for so long and is still doing it at this probably even more passionately than he did when he was in his heyday 20 25 years ago yeah no i i agree and to your point yeah i mean we have i think like 55 or so games this summer and we have like one day off built in every yeah. single week i think it's like every monday but it's like if a game gets rained out then that's there goes the off day and it's like well you could say well it's like well they the rain out day that's a day off well it's like not technically because nine out of ten times you're already at the ballpark you already spent the hours of prep for that game so it's yeah. not really a day off and you can't do anything fun when it's raining outside so it's like you're just gonna I don't know, probably go out to dinner or something with, you know, some of your friends. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, it's tough, but that's why we do it. I, I think, you know, it's fun. It's a passion of, of people that do it. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think anyone would ever do what John Sterling did. Never. I don't think it would ever be done. No, I don't think, I honestly don't think networks would allow it. Networks are so conscious of like mental health these days and like taking breaks mm-hmm. for people like, they probably tell they probably told him every day for the past five years, like, you want to take uh, next Saturday off, John? And he's like, why? Why would I do that? Yeah. Like, I want no, to I good. asked him. I, I, I asked him. So I interviewed him at the beginning of this season. I said, you know, what led to your decision to come back, you know, to do a full, not to come back, to do a full schedule. And he wasn't like upset with me for asking the question. He was like upset with, it being out there, right? Like it was being written about, right? And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, you know, like why, what made, what led to the decision for you to do 162 game season? And he was like, what? Like why I want to broadcast? Yeah. <laughs> like him, like, it's like, what do you mean? Like the fact and, that and that he, question stumps him too. It's like, what do you mean? Like, like that's just a different level of dedication. Yeah. Like he just, and, and again, it wasn't to me. It was like to the question that was being out there on. And, and he was like, let me tell you on this podcast that uh, it was never brought to his or Susan's attention that it was even an option to have someone else, you know, or to have a lesser of a schedule because it was reported that it was going to be like only home games with select travel days for John, for John. And Susan was, I think, scheduled to do all of them. But he's John's called every game so far this season. And I, so what he told me a month ago is that he is going to do every single game on the road. So uh, he's going to do 162 games as of right now on, on the air. But it was like, it was funny where it's like, John was like, no, I'm going to, what do you mean? A dumb question. You know me. I was like, look, you've look, interviewed look, me before. <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, no, John, like, I know, like, <laughs> I understand who you are and, and your passion for what you do, but it's like, you're 83 years old, and it's been a question out there, so I, I gave him, you know, his chance to respond to the people, and he did. Dude, I mean, at this point, like, if that's, it's literally been your life for the last 40 years doing this, like, why, why leave? Like, why, why take a break? Right. Probably, like, like I was saying earlier, like, we do this because 
we have to do it in a way. Our brains won't allow us to do anything else because this is what we love to do. You know, like I, I wouldn't want a desk job just to get by and pay bills. Like we're doing this because yeah. we love it, you know? And, you know, obviously there's circumstances where maybe you have to do that down the line, but like we're going to do this because it's our passion and this is what satisfies our hunger in a sense. And that's what he's at a point where it's like, if they force him to retire, I don't like, I'd worry because like, that's literally what he does. It's the only yeah. thing that he's ever wanted to do. Now that's, that's, he, he's someone that I hope I get the chance to talk to before I, uh, before he kind of hangs it up for good. But like that, because again, like he's, I think he's the only person who gets like an entrance before every broadcast. Like Susan Waldman's like, everybody, the voice of the New York Yankees, John Sterling. And he's just like, thank you, Susan. And like, that's how the broadcast starts. Like, I, like, I think it's so so cool to see in this um, day and age. But have you ever had the? Because uh, I had this happen to me recently. Have you ever um, had a broadcaster give you harsh advice? Like ev- everything's a critique, and you're looking for honest feedback, right? But have you ever had anybody give you like really like critical feedback to where it, like stung at the moment? But you're like, yeah, maybe you're right, and then you kind of utilize that moving forward. Oh yeah, uh, I mean. There's times where I ask, you know, people, because like I'll send an interview to someone in the industry that I respect and they're like, you did great. I was like, I I don't want to hear that because like I'm confident in my ability and I, I know I'm decent at it, I think, you know, so it's like, I don't need a confidence booster, you know, like I, I know that. I can probably do it because no one has told me they're like, Oh, you should go into accounting <laughs> or you should go into marketing. Right. You know, I think I have some form to be in it where it's like, I, I always look for, no, give me the most critical piece that you can say, because maybe I'm doing something I don't realize I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I will always say this, you know, I don't remember off the top of my head someone, what someone said, probably, I mean, I, anything critical, overly critical, or that's things like I try to forget about <laughs> or, or fix right away and then kind of just forget about it. And But I was in college in my freshman year, and my professor, John Rook, uh, the voice of the Patriots, yeah, uh, I sent him a clip of an interview I did, and I asked him to edit it or help edit it or whatever. And he sent back to me the ums, buts, so's, whatever, back to me. And it was like, I sent him probably like a 20, 25 minute interview. And it was like three minutes of just me. Um, so yeah, <laughs> like all the extra words that you yeah. don't need. And I was like, holy crap. You know, like I was using um so much as a crutch. And even now I do it here and there. Like, I'm sure if you listen to this, I've said it a few times, oh, yeah. but it, you can fix it. You know, it's okay to sound a little slow at times, you know, because it's conversation. But listening back to that, it's always been in the forefront of like, wow, I didn't realize how many times you say um or so or yeah yeah but Mm -hmm. like in an interview and it's like that's three minutes worth of time 
So ever since then, I think that was the most, you could say, sting because it stuck with me. And I learned from that. And I would say that's critical, right? <laughs> so Yeah, for him to go out of his way to edit that and take out all the yeah. things that he didn't like and put them back to back to right. back and for you to listen to it. Like, right. oh. That sounds great. But no, he sent me that. And it's like, okay. But I've, I don't think ever since then I haven't had like, um, 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 blah, blah, blah. And it's all about preparation too, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, you can tell right away. But some people use um as a crutch because they're nervous. That's talkers or, you know, yeah. public speakers. That's fine. But it's, you have to be kind of so the, the fact that, oh, I said that a little too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I probably had like 15 crutches that stuck with me throughout college. Like, say, like they were just almost like catchphrases. Like, uh, something's got to give or, you know, like just sayings that I know I'd be like, I pr- I've probably said that 10 times on this broadcast already, you know? And then you just right. go back to them because like your brain's just triggered that way. And you kind of, like you said, prepare a little bit um, better and figure out how to rewire your brain in that sense. I had one, um, Dave Sims from uh, the Seattle Mariners. He, after an interview I did with him, this was, I think this actually was the same day the last time I talked to you when we did our show a few years back. And he sent me, and I thought it was a great interview. Like, he was really nice. It was awesome. As soon as we hung up uh, the phone, I went to the bathroom, and I came back, and I saw that he left me an eight-minute voicemail. And it was just eight minutes straight of him just critiquing everything that he hated about my interview style. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, initially, I'm like, what an ass. Or, like, you know, like, I uh, initially was like, oh, my God, this is terrible. But then, like, actually, like, listening to it through – after like the initial shock factor, I was like, okay, I think he's right about all of this. I mean, he's Dave Sims. He's the voice of the Mariners. He's been in the business. Right. For 40- he, he probably knows what he's talking about. And he, and he was right. And I, I was able to use that and to my advantage and critique myself. And that, I think that's when I truly started looking back at all of my stuff and thinking like, oh, I could eliminate this. I could add to this a little bit more to make it better. And you don't, really realize it until like you get that stinging feeling of someone being like, you know, like you're decent. Like I'd see a future in this for you, but here's what you really suck at. And that's hard for some people to hear. Yeah. I, and when he said that about advice after an interview, it clicked, I'm going to name drop. Uh, so I interviewed Ken Rosenthal yeah. on September 17th, 2018. And I texted him after. I go, thank you again. Greatly appreciate it. And he says, sure, Alex, one small, small tip. After your subject gives his answer, just move on to the next question or give him a quick comment rather than say, mm-hmm, or something like that. He goes, I bet you don't even know you're doing it. But if you listen to any of the big-time radio guys, they don't do that. All the best. Great, great job. Just fix that. You know, and I joked with him after. I go, the next time I interview, I go, no, mm-hmm. You know, because I listen back to it, and it's like, like, I'm thinking, yeah, mm-hmm. You know, I do that. You know, not anymore, but it's like I'm mentally agreeing with them. But, like, I don't have to verbalize I'm agreeing with them. Like, you don't want to step on that. Like, if you're interviewing Al Michaels, and Al Michaels is talking, then you hear, mm-hmm, in the background when he's talking, it's like, you don't want to hear that. You know, I always say, I always like to mute my microphone when uh, a guest is responding because it's like any rustling of papers or if you get a text or whatever. You know, I was listening to a radio show this morning and they're interviewing someone and 
you hear just heavy breathing on the other side. And it's like, you hold the cough button down. I don't know. And it's like, it's the little things that just you're like crinkling the papers or you put in like a Altoid or a piece of gum in your mouth when the other person's talking. It's like, you don't want to hear that. You want to hear the person. It's distracting. So that, I think, to your point of something after the fact, and I was 18 at that time. So it's like, at that time, I was like, ooh, you know, but now it's like, wow, because most people now, you know, it's tough, you know, to get someone to give real advice, I think, because some people view being someone's mentor is them now worrying for their job. Like Michael Kay said it on a show the other day, where he's like, I don't want to mentor people because you're going to mentor people to what, take your job away from them. And it's like, you don't see Tom Brady mentoring like quarterbacks too, too much. Right. Like there's that, that boundary where it's like, if you mentor someone in sports a little too good and now they're taking your position, now you're out of a job. So there's just like, it's being nice. You, you always want to, and it's not paying it. You always pay it forward, always pay it forward. But it's some people, I'm not saying me, but some people are like that. Uh, so it's interesting. It's an interesting thought. Mm. Yeah, dude. I mean, two points there. Like I, I'm constantly saying like, yeah, totally. Like, while my guests are responding. So I'm going to take you up on uh, hitting the mute button moving forward on during interviews. That's actually a great tip, but yeah, that that's so, that's really interesting because like, I mean, I don't think Michael K or Tom Brady have anything to worry about. Honestly, I right. think like, I think like a Tom Brady would be the type to mentor someone because it would yeah. not only make someone better, but it would make him better mentally. You'd all be like, all right, like this kid's going to make it someday. I hope I can compete against him one day. I feel like he's like that type of cat, but I don't think Michael K would have anything to worry about. But like you said, paint it forward. I think, I think this industry is the perfect example of that. I mean, how many people have we reached out to and they just blissfully were like, yeah, absolutely. Like, let's do an interview. Like, did, are we worthy of interviewing a Ken Rosenthal or a John Sterling or a Magic Johnson or like any of these people? that we've gotten the chance to like interact with probably not, but like, it's making us better. Right. At least that's the hope. That's what they would hope, you know? Right. Like you want to play one-on-one with the greatest of all time, right? Like if you're a basketball player and you had the shot to play one-on-one with Michael Jordan, like that's going to make you a better basketball player. It's Mm -hmm. the same thing where it's like, if you're interviewing the best interviewer in the world, you're going to ask good questions. Or he's going to push you to ask better questions by not giving you an answer. <laughs> so it's like, that's how I look at it, right? Where it's like, it's great. Like, I will always say this too. Yeah, it's nice to interview successful people or, or big names in hopes of getting that retweet, right? But it's like, the reason why I want to interview successful people is to give me a look in their brain, in their mind, and see how it works. Because... They got successful somehow, so how do they become successful? And, and that's how you learn it, through interviews and talking with them. Mm-hmm. I think it's the only way. I, and, again, it goes back to yeah. us like wanting to go out of our way to do it and make a career for ourselves and make a name for ourselves and to kind of get inside people's minds a little bit of like, oh, yeah, like 
I know Alex Hughes, like he'd be perfect for this one day, you know, like, Oh, like I, I talked to Jack one day, like, I think this would fit him perfectly. You know, you keep doing it, keep doing it cause you love it. And then one day, hopefully with the idea of it paying off and like having that one, that one gig or that one opportunity or that one moment that kind of changes everything, like everything that you kind of, I think obviously the journey and like doing it every day is the, the reward, but you know, like you work towards that one, that one ounce of appreciation where, you know, like, okay, like I, I made it in this industry, you know, I think that's what everybody's kind of vying for before I let you go. Um, I know I said like 40 minutes, I always go over. So I apologize. No, you're for fine. That. The, uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you as a pro wrestling fan, and I'm going to say this in like the most like promo esque type way, but do you acknowledge your tribal chief Roman Reigns? Cause I personally think, it is like one of the greatest runs in WWE for a guy who it took him five, six years to get over with the fan base. And I think it's finally clicked. Are you a fan of the run or do you think that he's completely overprotected? Oh no, I'm a so fan of the run and I hope it doesn't end anytime soon because the way it's gone, it's like, okay, who's going to beat him on this roster? I don't see anyone that's going to beat him on this roster. I know Paul Heyman said something the other day about the rock. Uh, but I, I do think that that's the only person that it makes sense. Um, and you could either make the argument to where if you want to bring it to a whole new level, you have Roman go over against the rock because here's the deal, right? If you do WrestleMania next year in LA Roman versus rock, 90% of the people will think The Rock is going to go over. And I think it will be the most shocking turn of events is if Roman goes over and continues to run because it's like how, people will say, like, how will this end? And it's tough, right? I think it's tough. I don't think anyone really knows how it's going to end. You know, it might just be like a random Finn Balor goes over in one of these times, right? Where it's like, Finn Balor beats Roman Reigns after he destroys Lesnar, Rock, and, you know, Cena, right. whoever. But it's like, it's going to have to be something. I thought potentially when they did Seth Rollins coming down as the Shield, I thought, okay, this seems odd. I thought potentially Brock could have won over at Mania this year. But it's like when, when they unified the titles and Roman went over, it's like, okay, I don't see this coming to an end anytime soon. So now I'm going to buy into it. Where it's like, now I don't want anyone to beat him at some random pay-per-view in the middle of the year when, you know, the hype isn't there as if, you know, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Mania, Rumble. So I, I think it's going to go on for a while. And honestly, they might go after the longest reign of all time. And I think it was Bruno San Martino, correct? Where it was like it was like eight thousand days. days or yeah. something like that. I mean, why not? Like, why not go for it at this point? Mm. I, I think it's gonna be tough. But it's like you made it this far. <laughs> like, who on this roster is gonna comparatively go over on him where it makes sense? Uh, I think they got to do a lot more developing. And I think you. Like, if you lose to Roman Reigns now, it's not... Like, people would always say, like, Cena killed pushes, right? I don't see that now as Roman Reigns because Reigns went over the best. Like, if Reigns went over Brock Lesnar, Reigns went over Cena. So, it, it's like, 
it's not killing a push. I, I, if anything, it's like, yeah, I lost to Roman, but I, I want to go on and, and compete against Cody Rhodes, and maybe I'll go over on him. Yeah. So I, I think that I acknowledge Roman Reigns. I, I think Roman Reigns is having a tremendous run, and I don't want it to end anytime soon. Well, let's take a look at the names. Cena, Lesnar twice, Goldberg, Fiend, Strowman. Like half that list isn't even in WWE anymore. I know. Finn Balor, Edge a few times, Daniel Bryan, another one who left. Um, recently, I mean, now we're just getting like the fillers. Like we'll probably see like a Shinsuke Nakamura down the line. We're probably going to see like right. and Orton coming up. I'm shocked he hasn't faced Orton yet. So we're probably going to see yeah. that. And then McIntyre is probably like the biggest quote-unquote challenge where people might think he might go over at the time i i mean i'll i'll be honest i think rock would come back and be disappointed if he went over against reigns during this run yeah i'd be like come back to put reigns over right no i i think that would make the most sense too if he did that just simply because the rock is not going to be Right, like if Rock wins, he's not going to be there past Mania. You know, it wouldn't make sense. Right. What's he going to do with the titles? Right. Like if he was like, okay, I'm going to pause movies for a year and go back to wrestling. But it's like there's money in pro wrestling, but the money that The Rock has coming in doing all the, all the movies. Like, Can you imagine if The Rock came back as a full-time guy for like six months? I could see it happening, though. Like I could see what Cena did. Like I could see The Rock saying, okay, I'm going to take a summer off and just do – for wrestling, you know, or even like a spring to summer. Like I could see it happening because it's like, I think he loves the industry. I think the WWE is home to him. And I, I could see him doing a January through April run like he did back in 2011. Yeah, I don't think that's out of the question. But again, you'd say 2011. Now that's 12 years ago at this point. And he was so it's like, like he was older then. So I think, I think obviously he's in shape to put out a match, you know, and it's not like Stone Cold, right? And Stone Cold was great, but it's different. Like, The Rock yeah. never really dealt with the injuries, so I, I think he's in the shape to do it. Like, The so, Rock could legitimately put on a 30-minute match. And oh, yeah. Like, that was awesome. Or Stone Cold, you could even tell when he was wrestling KO at Mania. It's like he shouldn't be in the ring right now at times. Right. Right, no doubt. So I think overall it, it makes sense and it's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And so I could see The Rock coming back for you know a few months here and there, but it'll take a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think if they do have that match, Reigns going over isn't a shocker. It's just at this point, like, who's going to beat him? Like, they've literally booked themselves into a corner of like, it's going to have to be someone that's an up-and-comer or McIntyre at this point. Right. Everybody else doesn't really make sense unless Cena was like, I could come back for a year and then that's his 17th world title reign. That'd be cool. Yeah. But like, yeah. other than that, there's really nobody that's worthy of beating him. I think they mm -hmm. put themselves into a weird corner where like he is the big, he's like the most searched athlete, I think, in the world almost. Like he's getting up there. Like he's legitimately a box office draw now yeah. to the point where they might book him like Brock Lesnar. Like he only wrestles at the big pay-per-views moving forward. Mm -hmm. I think like sign a new contract to where he's not going to be wrestling any house shows any anymore. He's only going to be wrestling on pay-per-view or like the Usos are probably going to take most of the heavy lifting on SmackDown now. Like they've booked themselves into a weird position where like, I don't even think Vince knows who's going to beat him. And I don't yeah. know if that's exciting or if that's detrimental because there's so many people out there that still don't like the product because like, Oh, Roman's just going to go over. It's so predictable now. 
but it's literally been a two-year run. Like, what are you going to do? It has to be someone that's worth it. Like, when the Undertaker right. streak came to an end, even Taker admits, he's like, oh, I wish I waited for Reigns at WrestleMania 33 mm-hmm. as opposed to Lesnar at 30. Because, like, Brock Lesnar didn't need the win. You know, like, <laughs> it escalated him, like, that whole year of, like, becoming champion and whatever. Like, he had a good run after it. But he was still, he was already Brock Lesnar. Like, Roman Reigns was, like, trying to get over as the new face of the WWE when he... Um, beat Taker at Mania and what should have been his last match, mm-hmm. you know, that would have made more sense to do. Or like right now we don't have a legitimate contender to take the titles off of Reigns. And you have, and you have two titles on them that are like unified, but they're not unified, you know, like, yeah. cause now like, like the guy's going to have to be on Raw and SmackDown every single week, unless they have plans of like stripping them of one title. Cause like, I don't see them, I don't see them having like, oh, Cody Rhodes could beat him for the WWE title one day, but he keeps the Universal title. Like that would still hurt him because the guy hasn't been pinned in two years. Right. Like I just, it's, I think it's very, like I, I love the run, but I think they, they legitimately have question marks all around him. Like I don't know when this is going to end. I don't know how this is going to end. Maybe that's what excites Vince a little bit about it. But like if, if he has the wrong guy go over against Roman and win the titles and if it doesn't hit, like that entire two, three year run at the time, whenever it ends, might feel like a giant, you know, punch in the gut. Like, oh, they yeah. could have done that up so much bigger. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see. Well, I'll, I'll let you go. You're, you're a busy guy. You got like. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.